Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As we reflect upon the reality that no matter what might happen, whether the mountains shake and fall into the midst of the sea, no matter whether we're living in a time of blessing and prosperity, or a time of personal agony and tragedy, whether we live in a world that has some semblance of a Judeo-Christian ethos or a world devoid of that very same thing, as God's people we can sing and proclaim, it is well with our soul. There's a reason that we can sing and proclaim that, and it has to do with what Christ has done in all of our lives through the ministry of reconciliation. It has to do with being able to gather together at this Lord's table to remember what He has done and achieved and accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary. The truth of the matter is that many times in this Christian life we can get confused and we can get bogged down in the reality of life under the sun. We can lose our way or even begin to think that, that somehow our salvation has somewhat been earned or achieved, and none of us do it consciously, but it's easy for us to become big and God to become small, particularly when it comes to our Christian faith, our Savior, our salvation, and our future hope as if somehow we could do something to sustain ourselves in this tragic world that we live in today. So as we reflect upon 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, before we come to the table of remembrance, it would be important for us to give due consideration to what exactly happened and what was achieved by way of Christ on the cross of Calvary, and what is it that we must be thankful for, and how can we keep these things straight. Unfortunately, one of the ways in which things get a little bit confused is when it comes to our salvation, we acknowledge it being an act of God, yet we recognize the dimension of personal faith necessary, necessary in coming to Christ as Savior. We fall on one side or the other, and it's hard to reconcile. I wonder if perhaps these are some of those hard-to-understand things that Peter talked about, that Paul wrote in the depth of theology and the reality of life under the sun. So briefly this morning, we'd like to spell that all out, help us to understand and, and grasp the reality of our faith, perhaps, and still again, a sense of awe and an overwhelming sense of God's grace and mercy to us. It's easy to lose that. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, and God in His divine providence, for whatever reason, made room for us in His body by the blood of His Son in the eternal plan of God. A mystery, a reality, a glorious promise, and I pray the very reason that we worship and celebrate today. Even in our songs, we're focusing on what Christ has done and the reality that all we have is Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, Paul writing his second letter to the church at Corinth, says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God 
who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making, and God making His appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank You for this time that we can gather in Your house. We thank You for this time that we can remind ourselves of the deep and deeper truths of, of Scripture, the deeper realities of salvation, even in the songs that we sing. We thank You that You are a great God. We thank You that You are a a gracious and benevolent God. We thank You that You are a merciful God, and we stand in awe, almost silenced at times, that You are a God in eternity past who chose to reconcile us to You through Jesus Christ. As we contemplate the depth of that, it escapes our rational minds, but reminds us of a truth that sets us free. And that same God who reconciled us and initiated that move toward us has promised that He will keep us, He will sustain us, He will prosper us, not in earthly terms, but the deep spiritual truths of Scripture as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And perhaps He will initiate in us a quietness in our spirit to give due consideration the great things that He has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, for us, that we might somehow recognize and realize and be faithful to the task that has been given to those reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. So, encourage us as we study this text, as we touch upon deep truths of Scripture, but more than anything else, remind ourselves of the great work of our Savior that we will be remembering and commemorating even in the coming weeks, to the glorious time that we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the capstone of our faith, and the hope of the world at large. Encourage us as we study this text, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we return back to the text, therefore, reflects on everything else that Paul has addressed prior to this, particularly in this chapter, talking about this great love of Christ that has drawn us to Himself, the death of Christ that has secured for us that satisfaction of God's wrath, and of course, the resurrection of Christ that causes us to live in a newness of life. And in light of all of that, Paul says, therefore, in light of that, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It is a simple statement of absolutely profound truth. What does it mean to be a new creation? What does it mean that Christ alone has brought us into this newness of life, this new quality of life, this transformation that takes place immediately upon faith? When he talks about anyone in Christ, of course, he is talking about those who've received the ministry of reconciliation that He has begun describing for us in this text. 
When we talk about being in Christ or anyone who is in Christ, we are talking about those who have been rescued through the blood of Jesus Christ, the payment for the forgiveness of sins, the one who has confessed their sin, repented of their sin, embraced the belief that Christ has died and risen again for us, and He is our only hope and reconciliation. And through the expression of that personal belief, we have assurance that we are in Christ. He is speaking to believers only in this text. And He says in an explanation of this new creation that old things have passed, and the new has come. When we stop to think about this new creation and the old being past, it is an accomplished feat and action. Nobody gets saved a second time or a third time or a fourth time. It happens once for eternity as God beckons us to faith through His Holy Spirit and the work of Christ reconciling us to Himself, and that one point of time, we become a new creation. The quality of the position of our life is radically changed. I'll explain how shortly in the text. And the old has passed away. It has been vanquished. It has vanished. It has been replaced. Now, in the context, of course, Paul is talking about our lofty position because of what Christ has done for us. He is not necessarily speaking of our day-to-day life. When he speaks of this glorious transformation, the believer being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ is clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And God looks at us as righteous, and we look in the mirror and say, not so much, at least if we're honest with ourselves. We're still a work in progress. There's still work to be done. But we have been called to this new creation, called to this newness of life, called to a process of transformation that takes place in a very practical way throughout the rest of our days until He comes or He takes us home. Our old life is over, and our new life has become, uh, has, has come to pass, and there is a definitive line between those two things. Now, when I came to Christ… I knew that there was a definitive line. Something radical happened to me, but I didn't understand all of its complexities. I just knew something happened. What happened is God in Christ reconciling me through His Son, Jesus Christ, to a right relationship with Him, clothing me with His righteousness, stamping me with His ownership, protecting me until the day I stand before Him and then working on me through His Holy Spirit through the rest of my days, that somehow my position in Christ is at least closely resembling my practice as living as a part of Christ. And I pray that that's gotten better, but I can admit I'm not home yet. I suggest probably you're not either. He's not talking about a reconciliation that makes us perfect and a newness that means that, that uh, you're a totally different being with no struggles at all. He is saying in a past act, Christ has intervened in your life and that has continuing results in the present and in the future as He conforms us to His image and we stand in His presence becoming like Him because we see Him 
as He is. It is the glorious encapsulation of this salvation that we have in Jesus Christ that is instantaneous and yet a long time work in progress. It happens in the past. It happens once, but the results of that continue until the day we see Christ. And it's reminded in this text that 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 salvation is in Christ alone. We've been studying on Wednesday evenings some of the solas of the Reformation time frame that can be traced back to the ministry of Martin Luther and that particular day in October 31st in 1517, where Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the Wittenberg Castle door in Germany. And out of that came these five solas. There were 95 principles that he was uh, preaching and teaching and, and calling God's church back to but they've been whittled down in the form of the solas of the Reformation period. There had been a drift away from the Scripture, and he was calling them back to the Scripture, sola scriptura, the Scripture alone, not the magistry of of the church, not the priesthood, not anything else. We are called back to Scripture. And I would suggest to you that the Scripture is the very foundation of this ministry of reconciliation because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. We can never minimize that Word. And every revival across the globe and every era of history began with God's people returning back to the book because the book contains the mysteries of life and the plan of salvation that grants us the assurance that we have of those who have been reconciled by God in Jesus Christ. And remember, not only is it sola scriptura by Scripture alone, it is sola Christos in Christ alone. Salvation is only in Christ. There are not multiple paths. There are not many religions that all lead to the same place. There is one God and one mediator between God and men. It is the man, Christ Jesus. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Who is the me? It is Christ. We can only come to reconciliation with God through Christ, and thereby Paul says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Sola fide as that tenant of the Reformation that says, by faith alone. And I happen to believe that that faith is a gift from God. It is initiated by God's Holy Spirit. It is not something that spontaneously wells up within us because there's none righteous, no, not one, and there's none that understands God. And no one can exhibit faith and salvation until the Holy Spirit opens their eyes and draws them to that faith, exercising it unto salvation. That's the mystery that sometimes we struggle with. God did this, but you have a role. But in spite of your role, God did this, and the only role you play is because God initiated that faith in your life to believe as He opened your eyes. That's a glorious thought. We sang about it, and all I have is Christ. We were doing our own thing. We're going our own way. We're making our own rules, and somehow through this divine invasion, the still small voice of the Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ and the reconciliation of God, He brought us back to Him. That is a glorious gospel that we celebrate at this table by faith alone. 
Sola gratia means by grace alone. It is unmerited. None of us deserve this. God is not up there in heaven thinking and, and pausing and contemplating and keeping a journal and saying, yeah, I think they've done enough. I will, I will reconcile them to myself. No, He looks upon us as dead in trespass and sin. And He says, I will intervene anyhow for my glory. And He initiates that faith and it's through grace alone, and always the capstone of the Reformation, solely Deo glory to the glory of God the Father alone. When we gather together and speak of salvation, there is no other glory than glory to God. We didn't do this. We didn't deserve this. We weren't seeking this, but He found us. I hope you're encouraged by that today. I hope that gives you some grounding. I hope that brings some security. I hope that gives you a sense of purpose. All of this is in Christ alone. And he says in verse 18, and this is from God. What is from God? This total transformation, this new creation, this reconciliation, this work of the Spirit and the sanctifying presence of of the rest of our days, all of this is from God, the source of salvation is not our faith. It is God who is the source of our faith, drawing us to salvation in Himself. For all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. Through Christ, the agent of God's reconciliation work is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead. And neither is there salvation in any other There's no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. God is at work reconciling, but it is always through Jesus Christ, not a good man, not a good prophet, not a particularly good teacher in in the world's kinds of terms, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world, the Christos, the Messiah, the second person of the Godhead. God was reconciling us through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through Him. And Ephesians remind us that at one point we were far off from God, separated and unable to remedy that condition. But Jesus Christ broke down that dividing wall of hostility through His work of reconciliation, making peace and reconciling us both to God and one body through the cross, killing the hostility. You know what you were before your salvation? An enemy of God, a vessel of destruction, fit for judgment. And yet God, in His glorious work of reconciliation, killed that hostility, brought us back into a right relationship with Him. And it was all because of Jesus Christ. In that same text, it says that He has reconciled us to Himself again through Jesus Christ. God does it. We receive it. You know, it is so critical that we get that right. It is not some synergistic, we, we kind of help God with the process. It's not like it was in those Reformation times where Martin Luther authored a challenge to, to the true and genuine church, simply saying that God does it and we receive it. It's not like we're cooperating. It's not like we have to help Him. It's not like we have to do something to win His favor. God did it and we received it by grace, the work of Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
And in knowing that, He has given us, those who He has reconciled, the ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of humble service, acknowledging what has happened in our life, and encouraging us to take that message and that ministry out to a lost and dying world that people might know why we are different. So often today, our testimonies unravel into accounts about what we've been through and what we did, when the truth of a testimony and ministry of reconciliation is to simply tell the truth of what He did for His glory alone. And in this ministry of reconciliation, we are simply going out and telling His story, not our story, telling His story of what He's done in our lives through God the Father who is reconciling us, through God the Son, the means of that reconciliation, and through the Holy Spirit, the regenerator that brings us to glorious salvation in Christ. He continues, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. God, as His means of rescuing this world, as His means of of bringing us into participation with His grace and His mercy, has done it solely through the work of Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Christ, God's agent in reconciling the world to Himself. Why did He have to reconcile the world? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seeketh after God. Pastor Jim, I'm not that bad a person. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. If you're guilty of any point of the law, you're guilty of the whole law in all of its entirety with all of its consequences. And no one can look in the mirror and say, I am without guilt. The truth is, we must come to this glorious realization that God was reconciling us to Himself because we could not reconcile ourselves to Him. This is a transaction that took place on behalf and initiated by God Himself. How did He do it? By not counting their trespasses against them. Here's where we begin to to wade into some really critical and, and deep theology. And as we talk about this, this notion of reconciliation and justification and, and, and sanctification, uh, MacArthur writes that uh, simply, the indispensable article of faith means that righteousness is imputed to or credited to the account of all who lay hold of Christ by faith. He describes that specifically in verse 21. We will get there in a moment. But he continues to write, this is done by a forensic reckoning, meaning a legal transaction, making a courtroom verdict. It entails a transfer of credit, and it invokes the idea of an accounting, specifically a transfer from one ledger to another, or the relocation of an asset from one agent's account to another. He finishes out his article by saying, the whole doctrine of vicarious atonement depends on the principle of imputed righteousness. Let me tell you how that works and what Paul is intimating at in this text when he writes, not counting their trespasses against them. 
There was a process of imputation that took place in all of mankind. It is spoken about in the book of Romans, and it eliminates anyone's right to claim that there is some sense of righteousness or goodness about them that makes God beholden to them. The Scripture makes very clear that through the sin of Adam, there is an imputed righteousness to unrighteousness to all mankind. And all of those born of the seed of the man are born with a sinful, corrupt human nature. It is imputed to them by one man's sin. And Romans chapter 5 is very specific in outlining that detail. Part of that detail in the context of, of our salvation is this notion that somehow God was not counting our trespasses against us in this ministry of reconciliation. And in theological terms and in ways that are, that are deep and, and absolutely glorious when you grasp all of this, God was in Christ, this perfect God-man, the Messiah and the Savior of the world who was without sin. And in this transaction on the cross of Calvary, God took all of our sins of all of mankind and moved it over as a debit to Christ's account. We will find later that Christ then in His atoning work and God in His reconciling work took His righteousness as He removed our sin and placed it in Christ's account. He took Christ's righteousness and moved that and placed it in our account. That is the process of imputation. And it's really important that we get that understanding of imputation correct. And before we get to the end of the chapter, let me make this perfectly clear. Jesus Christ was always the one without sin, even on the cross of Calvary. He didn't become sinful. He didn't take on the sinful nature of mankind. He was the perfect sacrifice. He simply made this forensic transaction that He took all of our guilt for our sin and placed it in the account of Christ so that He could pay that in full. And He took all of Christ's righteousness and His sinless perfection and moved that to our account. And all of that happened in the process of reconciliation. And as Christ died for our sins, on the cross of Calvary, as He shed His blood, as He brought about forgiveness and atonement for all mankind that could only happen through this notion of imputed righteousness. As we wrestle with that in in its complexity and its depth, it's important that we understand that, and, and we'll wrap it up in a little bit. Well, let's move on, though not counting their trespasses against them, in fact, making that, that tra- transaction of accounts, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation, what He's already in- introduced in verse 18. Therefore, in light of what God is doing in Christ, in light of what God is doing through His Spirit, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. It's an interesting word. We are those who have been reconciled messengers, representatives of the one that has sent us. And the one that has sent us is the one who has reconciled us, God through Christ. And He sends us to this ministry of reconciliation as His ambassadors. That word has a connotation of of, of someone who is mature, 
someone who is perhaps a little aged, someone who can, can stand in, in the world as godless as it might be and be a representative of the Christ who rescued us through the ministry of reconciliation and tell the story of that reconciliation in the gospel that all men might know. The problem with modern evangelicalism and Christianity today is we have too much of a, a temporal perspective and not an eternal perspective. We somehow think that the satisfaction for life comes in this lifetime, but that's not true at all. In fact, once we come to know Christ as Savior, we are separate and distinct people from those who don't through this process of reconciliation. So we are going out to, to point out those distinctions, and we're reminded by Paul and Philippians that our citizenship isn't here in this temporal life. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We finished a study in 1 Peter where he reminds us in chapter 2, verse 11, that we are sojourners, we are exiles. We're to abstain from the passions of the flesh which make war against your soul. That's the new creation coming out in us. And that is how we are ambassadors. We speak the truth of the gospel, but this is equally important. As ambassadors, we live the truth of the gospel. And none of that's possible without God initiating this transaction and reconciling us to Himself through Jesus Christ. Well, how do we do the ministry of reconciliation? Romans is pretty clear on that. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call upon Him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without some preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, the gospel of reconciliation. Now, why are we out there preaching the gospel of re reconciliation with our words and with the transformation that is taking place in our life if God has to initiate salvation? That's not our problem, and that's where you get tripped up all the time. That's not our problem. God will sort it out. We will simply tell the truth. We will live the truth. We will engage people upon that truth, and we will get it clear, that truth of the reconciliation work of God through Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and a transaction that is initiated by divine forgiveness. We must tell the story faithfully and then trust that God will work through Christ to reconcile people unto Himself. One of the best days of my ministry life was when I first realized that I couldn't change anybody, but I could tell the truth, and that's all He called me to do. Tell them the truth and trust the rest to me. You'll never know how difficult that is for a pastor cares for His people. I have to tell the truth, and I have to be okay when all is said and done that I told the truth, and I have to trust that the God who reconciled me to Himself through Jesus Christ will do the same as He initiates salvation and the call of faith through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, I couldn't sleep at night 
and I would be constantly under this pressure that I need to do this. I can't do this. Are you thankful that God does do this for His glory? God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, and we're given the ministry of reconciliation. Tell the truth, live the truth, and do it boldly, and don't worry about people's response. You can't save them. Only God can. You can't forgive them. Only God can. You can't even convince them. Only God can. God takes our words from Scripture and brings about faith through reconciliation as He initiates that salvation through Jesus Christ and unblinds the eyes of the unbeliever through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This reconciliation involves some really important tendencies. And as we are ambassadors appealing toward reconciliation, the lost and dying world, if we are imploring on behalf of Christ, begging and pleading in faithfulness that people come to know Him through this ministry of reconciliation, we must include in that gospel, and it has been lost in too many evangelical circles today, a notion of confession. The first step as God draws us unto Himself is to unblind our eyes so that we see how desperately sinful we are. That's the first stage. Confession is simply agreeing with God. We are desperately wicked and the heart deceitful above all things. As we confess that, we realize in that confession that we are horribly broken people, and we must repent of those deeds and and that lifestyle and those actions. We must turn around and turn to God for the forgiveness of our sins by way of our confession and, and the repentance that says we are called to newness of life as new creatures. We are called to live a different kind of way. And then it is the belief One of those critical beliefs that we will celebrate this month is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We must believe that God and His glorious plan for the ages, although Christ died for the sins of all mankind, rose again the third day, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for all of the saints. And moment by moment involved in the ministry of reconciliation. We must believe that He died for our sins, but first confessing, turning from those sins. Believe that He'd been raised from the dead, and there's victory over sin, and and that personal faith and belief then exercised to the point of salvation. So, how does that all happen, Pastor Jim? As God is reconciling through Christ, and it's a work of God, we have a, a responsibility to believe, well, when does that really enter into the picture? It never enters into the picture until He reaches out to us so we can conclude definitively God did that, and He gave you the faith to believe in the glorious salvation that comes in Christ alone. He gave you the eyes to see your sin. He gave you the ability to turn away from that sin and to live as a new creature. He gave you the, 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 the ability to, to, to to believe and, and to exercise your faith that He died for you according to the Scripture and was buried and raised again the third day according to the Scripture. And in my life, so critically important, He gave me the faith to believe when everything else tells me, no, that He's coming back soon. 
It's all a work of grace. That's the ministry of reconciliation. We must include the confession and repentance because this is not easy believism. It changes everything. We've been given that ministry and that message of reconciliation to take to a lost and dying world and to implore them to be reconciled, restored into a right relationship with God. And then he wraps up this text by describing specifically what happened and that process of imputation and that transaction of taking the guilt of our sin and putting it in the account of Christ and His righteousness and putting it into the account of the sinner, clothing them in the righteousness of Christ at the point of salvation as God reconciles us to Himself through the atoning work of Christ. For our sake, He made Him, meaning Christ, to be sin yet he knew no sin. He transferred the guilt of our account into the account of Christ. He didn't become a sinner. He didn't become sinful. He didn't become the embodiment of sin. He was a holy, righteous, sinless Savior. What he went through in those hours of the cross was to pay your penalty and mine through the suffering of the cross to the point of the satisfaction of God. And when God was satisfied with the payment of everything transferred from my account and your account to Christ, Christ said, it is finished. And He gave up the ghost. And the transaction was complete. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, He has rescued us from our own personal sin, restored us to a position of righteousness, and then called us to live out that righteousness in this present age in which we live, to live out that new life and that new creation and that glorious rescue, to speak the message of reconciliation and to be His ambassadors, those who represent Him in an ever-darkening, darkening world. Never make the mistake of believing that Jesus became sinful because He never did and he never could because he was God. But he paid your debt, a debt that he didn't owe, a debt that you did. God did this. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself so that we might become the righteousness of God. Colossians reminds us, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Remember that transfer that took place, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Paul reminds us that once Christ has taken it away, and it's been nailed to the cross, and we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ 
that we have been justified. We have been declared righteous through faith in Christ alone. We have been given peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? This ministry of reconciliation may have happened in the past, but it is really where we plant the flag of our hope for all of our tomorrows. And the God who has rescued us and reconciled us will not lose us. He is our hope always. And even in the context of life, no matter what we face, we have been rescued and reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Paul makes it very clear. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. From his account, we received his righteousness. And that righteousness is full and complete. And today, for those who are reconciled, we're working out the details. How about you? Are you living this righteousness? Are you living this reconciliation? Are you aware of what Christ has done for you? Do you understand how glorious that is? Do you know that today you stand faultless before the throne of God because of Jesus Christ, but in front of the mirror, there's still work to be done. And He will continue to do that until we hear the sound of the trumpet or our life is required of us. And finally, that work will be over, for we will see Him and become like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That's why we're called to this table, to remember the Lord's death until He comes. What is a fact is this imputed righteousness. What is a process is our day-to-day righteousness. But all of that is a direct result of God through Christ, reconciling the world to Himself and granting to you and I the ministry of reconciliation. May we be faithful to that ministry, and may God give the increase to His glory alone. If you would, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to find a clear and distinct passage of Scripture that reminds us of the moment of that transformation where that glorious truth became a reality through the reconciling work of God through Jesus Christ. Paul describes it in very clear terms that are inescapable for any person here today. Whether you're reconciled or not, this sorts out and separates the deep theologies that Paul addressed in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 of Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespass and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And Paul's words in Corinthians come back, but God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Here's how he describes it to the church at Ephesus. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even 
when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is the story of reconciliation. That is the truth of the Scripture. That is the work of the person of Jesus Christ in all of its glory, whether it's the depth of theology in 2 Corinthians or the simple description of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. And even though it's a simple description, there is deep theology in that text as well. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, and somehow, for some reason, for His glory, He chose you. So we're called to this table remember that God did that. And we are ambassadors of His righteousness, entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. But God did that. God did that in your life, and you have accepted Christ as your Savior. We invite you to join at this table of remembrance, to remember the sacrifice of our Savior, be reminded of the reason for that, and to find a sense of hope, a confident expectation that everything's going to be okay because God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Join us if you know Him. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the deep and profound truths of Your Word but even more so for the great love of God in Christ Jesus, reconciling us to Himself. The blood of the Savior, the atoning work of the cross, the promise of eternal redemption. I pray and long for the day of Your coming. I pray that You might find us faithful in our ministry of reconciliation until that day comes. From time to time, may we be so overwhelmed with Your grace and mercy that we are left speechless, and at other times, so bold in our speech, imploring others to be reconciled to God. As we work through this process and live out our faith, may it be to Your glory alone. Father, we also pray for this benevolence offering, and particularly those in the middle of a, a cruel and brutal war in Ukraine, many traveling outside of that country to Poland and other countries. And I thank you from such a long way away that we have the ability to help with immediate humanitarian needs, clothing and blankets and medicine, food, until this thing is taken out of the way and the process of getting back to normal becomes a reality. We once again bring before you Pastor Oleg and his wife Galina.
As they continue to minister in the western portion of Ukraine, may you May you give him a voice and a passion for the reconciliation of God, for the ministry of reconciliation, and at the same time, for a ministry of caring and taking care of and reaching out to those in great need. Thank you for agencies like Send International. We're doing a good work and getting all of our funds directly to the field and the people in greatest need. We thank you for allowing us to become a part of that, even the ministry of reconciliation. Now, Father, as we take up this offering, I pray that it would glorify You, that You would use it in a way that You have determined beforehand, and that You might be glorified however it might be used. But we ask, if You will, that perhaps through this simple gift of benevolence and the message of reconciliation, some might be drawn to You in the worst of times for your glory alone. Bless this offering. Accept our worship. You have done great things through Christ. And it says in His name we pray. Amen.